Support for Docs Outside the Box comes from Set for Life Insurance. Set for Life means set for less. Their clients get access to the largest portfolio of discounts and unisex rates available nationwide. Check them out at setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. was good and thank you for tuning in for another episode of Docs Outside the Box. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting my next guest first at Podcast Movement last year in Philadelphia. And what I found really interesting and intriguing about her is that for an entire year, she's been live streaming on both Facebook and on Instagram daily on the topic of budgeting. Now, budgeting not just for individuals, but budgeting for people who have small businesses, for entrepreneurs. And my guest is Felicia Jones, and she's also known as the budgetologist. But besides being an expert on, you know, helping individuals, helping small businesses, you know, kind of control their finances, she's really made a name for herself, not just nationally, but also internationally as a well-sought-after motivational speaker. And not just as a motivational speaker, she's also now coaching others on how to build a successful career about being a speaker. All right. So I got to give her mad props though, because she recently did a TEDx talk and she killed it. For me, that's the holy grail. I want to be able to rock the stage like that. I want to be able to control the crowd and have them listen and hang on every word, you know, that I have to say. And for her to do that, that's really impressive. But, you know, on my show, obviously, I'm featuring doctors who are doing things outside of medicine, people who are thriving in a non-traditional path. And although Felicia is not a physician, she really has quite the outside the box journey. She's actually formally trained as an engineer, and she's gotten her degree in computer science, and she also has a master's in system engineering, and actually had a career working for the U.S. Navy, and then at the age of 36, decided to chuck the deuces and left it in her past. She walked away from it all and decided to be an entrepreneur, but check this out. She didn't know what she wanted to do. So that's why I have her on this show to briefly talk about how she's making budgeting interesting for small businesses, why you all need to be focused on that if you're interested in entrepreneurship. But also we're going to be talking about, you're going to be hearing her drop gems on how to be a better speaker, why being a speaker is important, what it's going to do for you, for your brand, and from an entrepreneurship standpoint. So make sure you listen all the way to the end. Felicia has a great gift for all of you listeners. I'm really excited about it. So without further ado, I present Felicia Jones, also known as the budgetologist. Felicia Jones, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's up? What's good? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I feel like I got a celebrity on my show. (laughs) Who? (laughs) You. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Budgetologist, speaking consultant, slash. I mean, there's so many different things behind your name. It's so cool. Computer scientist, everything that goes along, you know, with what you're doing. I'm just a big fan of it. And I'm really glad to have you on the show to talk about a whole bunch of different things, but specifically two big things. One, talking about budgets and how you've been able to create a career about that, as well as speaking and helping other people develop, you know, their speaking career. So before we get so far into those two things, let's learn a little bit about you. Do you mind telling the audience, the listeners, a little bit about your background? 
Oh my gosh. I love this question because I like long walks on the beach. I'm a Pisces. (laughs) But no, you know, it's so funny when people ask you this question. So I don't know where to start. So I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, just a regular middle-class girl, went to an HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia, worked for the Navy for 11 and a half years as a computer scientist and systems engineer, and threw a dart on the map. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of just going through that really fast, but that's a really good deal. Uh, You know, it's just something you do on the weekends. (laughs) Hubby and I threw a dart on the map, landed in Denver, Colorado. I got this big idea to actually do an early retirement because they were giving buyouts, and I started a business, and I'm going into my fifth year this year, which is crazy thinking about all the mascara and all the tears that I put into this. <laughs> so you went into early retirement at the age of 36. Yes. And you became an entrepreneur and something completely different than what you were trained in. Tell us about that. You know, it was one of those things. I've been in my career for some time and I just wasn't feeling it anymore. I was, yeah, I was ready to leave. I was burnt out. I wasn't liking the environment I was working in. And I moved from working for the Navy to another agency for the government. And to be honest, I just didn't like being there anymore. And I've always had this idea, like, gosh, if I can work this hard for other people, if I just had one year just to see what I can do and see what I could happen, why not try it? And the year before, what they were doing, they were actually trying to get people to leave the government. So they would offer these early retirement buyouts and they started opening them up to anyone. So the first year, way too scared because it's like, oh no, because I'm one of those, you grow up. I don't know anybody who quits job, especially a government job. You don't leave those. And government job. I know, that's a good, good, solid, secure job. You don't leave that. And it was just so funny. The next year, they offered this buyout one more time. And by this time, we had gotten out of debt. We had been saving tons of money. And I was just like, I think I want to do this because I just didn't want to be in this job anymore. And you had 30 days to decide if you were going to do this early retirement. I literally waited until the 15 minutes before the deadline because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And of course, you try to get your spouse like, what do you think? And my husband like, you got to make that decision. I was like, you don't want me to do this. He was like, don't put this on me. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how I, I know. <laughs> it was like deja vu episode. But that's how this started. I put in for the early retirement and I was one of those. I quit and went right into entrepreneurship. There was no side hustling. There was nothing. I kind of have been on my own since then. And it's been a but, journey. But you had to have had something on, you know, the side of your mind or in the back of your mind as to what you wanted to do to just be like, I'm out, peace out. You'd be surprised. Right I didn't. So how did you decide? <laughs> before we get to that, because this is amazing. And part of what the audience doesn't know is that we met at Podcast Movement mm-hmm. earlier this year in Philadelphia. And I was really psyched about one, that you talk about budgets and that Love you're budgets. live streaming every day for like the past, what, two years now? Oh, yeah. It'll be two years this year. Yep. Every day. <laughs> every day. Minus the days that I'm either camping or running through an airport. <laughs> and, you know, you're also an international speaker. You've been to London. You've been to other countries overseas. And then you also have Keep Up with Mrs. Jones. Yeah. You have a lot of things going on. But I think it's really fascinating to spend all this time becoming a computer scientist, becoming an engineer. And then just like that, you know, on a drop of a dime, you move to something else. And you just said, you know, previously that you didn't have anything else on your mind? Like, why did you decide to do entrepreneurship? Why didn't you decide to just go into maybe the private world where you could probably make more money as an engineer? 
You know what? The biggest thing that I realized, I'm sure you've encountered this, the way I grew up, I didn't really have the confidence to go after anything else. I worked for the government for, oh my gosh, 12 years. And I just assumed that this was supposed to be my life because that's how I grew up. You stay in that one job until you retire. And I kept saying there has to be something better than this out there. And I didn't really know what to do. And I didn't really know what my skills were, which is so crazy now, because now I feel like I can like take any job, like give me anything. I can run this company. But back then, I didn't feel like I had any skills. And I said, you know, maybe if I just gave myself a shot just to see what would happen. And I really didn't have an idea. I had always talked for years. Anybody who knew me when I had my job, I always talked about, you know, I'm going to do a cupcake. I have a run a cupcake store because I was like, cupcakes don't get mad at you. And people are happy over cupcakes. That's, those are, depending on what city you are, cupcakes, you know, just by itself, people selling in stores is huge. Like, yeah. And, you know, and a whole bunch of other different types of cities. Yeah. So I was like, I could do cupcakes. And then I was like, ooh, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do cupcakes because then I'll eat them. What happened a couple of months before I took this early retirement, I literally went to a women's networking group. And just so happened the speaker didn't show up and we all went around the room and everyone introduced themselves and their business and what they were looking for. And I was the very last person and I had this notebook in my hand and I said, you know, I introduced myself. I was like, I'm Felicia Jones. I don't have a business. All I know is that I have a book of ideas and I hate my job. And so many people said, you need a vision coach. And that's when I met my first coach. I started working with her in May and it just so happens that the retirement thing popped up And a week before that, my boss told me that I was going to have to work a 24-hour shift for the next year. And I was like, oh, no, we are not about to do that. And I was getting so scared and I just decided to jump into it. But when I was working with my coach and she was like, what kind of businesses do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, international jewelry salesperson sounds fun. And my husband was like, well, what is that? I was like, I don't know. It just sounds like I can travel everywhere and wear jewelry. And we were just going around at that meeting with the coach. And, you know, we had to introduce, you always have to introduce yourselves in business world now. And I said, well, I don't know what I do, but I just like to build budgeting spreadsheets for fun when I'm bored. And somebody said, well, why don't you help people with that? And I was like, with what? And they're like, money. And I was like, people need help with money? And my husband was like, uh, look at all of your friends. I was like, ooh, touche, Mr. Jones. And that's kind of how it got started. Literally just saying out loud, this is what I did for fun. And it kind of morphed into how do I help people with budgeting without using a spreadsheet? And that's how it started. And you've made it a very successful business. Obviously, you are, I guess, now world renowned for this. (laughs) World renowned. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny. You have as your mission, your mission is to change the world one budget at a time. Yeah. And you're working with what individual people. You're also working with solopreneurs. So like, how do you make this sound, I guess, is it like sexy? Like it's budgeting, like, right? Yeah. People roll their eyes. Even I roll my eyes, even though I use budgeting (laughs) to pay off our debt. It's still something that I cringe at that I have to do on a monthly basis. How do you make it sound fun? How do you make it, you know, really palatable for other people? Well, one of the things that I realized that if I was going to talk about budgeting, it was going to have to be a lot on the personality. And that was the trickiest part out of this because we know CPAs, we know accountants, and we know my accountant is dry and she's great, but she's not that fun to be around. So it was like, how do we make this fun and how do we break down the barriers? Because one of the biggest thing I realized we're talking about money, most people just won't say anything. And I grew up with, you don't talk about money. Right. Yeah. Same here. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And it's like, well, mom, you're in debt. No, everything's fine. 
So that was one of the biggest things was to just get people to talk. And I always tell people, like, even if I'm not the right person to help you, I just want you to be able to be comfortable to go get the help that you need. And I've been in that situation when I was trying to get out of debt. I finally opened up and tried to get help because I felt shamed about it. Because I was like, here's me. I have degrees in math. I minored in math. I have a computer science degree. I think I've taken more math than most humans that I know other than PhDs and, you know, real mathematicians. And I can't even add and subtract and follow a budget. And that was the biggest thing was to get people to open up and get the help that you need and get the right help that you need. So that was just kind of how it started, just getting people to talk and try to be fun with it. Because I know it's not sexy, you know, budgeting isn't sexy, but it's a necessary evil. If we want to get out of debt, if we want to travel the world, if we want to put kids through college, it's just something we're going to have to do. And that's been the mission the entire time. So what's some of the myths that you see out there that people use or people think they know about budgeting that make them not want to do it? Oh my gosh, when it comes to solo business owners, the biggest thing I hear is that, well, I'm not making any money, so I don't need a budget. And it's like, well, where's the money coming from to run this business? <laughs> like it's coming from somewhere. And I have this mantra that there are two sides of the budget. It's managing the budget and it's feeding the budget. And in order to have a healthy, high-functioning budget, you got to have a healthy source of revenue. So there is no tunnel vision of, I'm just cutting expenses. It all works together. So when I hear people say, oh my gosh, I'm not making any money in my business. I don't need a budget. Well, you're using somebody's money. Either it's a credit card, you're getting money out of your 401k, you're cashing out pensions, you're rating the kids' college fund. You're using the money somewhere and you still have to be smart about it. And the other thing is that it's just so risky with business and it's not like doing personal finances. And that's the other thing I run into. People assume budgeting for business is the same as budgeting for personal finances and it really isn't because you don't know what's coming in with business. You kind of have to reverse engineer the budget. So it'll tell you what you need to go make in order to feed the budget so that you can manage the budget so that you can give yourself a salary. It's like this weird little hamster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now what about the folks who, this was me, like the folks who do the mental math. Oh, virtual budgeting. Right, right. You know what I'm talking about. And they hope that they have enough by the end of the month. Oh, I call those the virtual budgeting and I have about, you know, when people are like, well, how much money in your bank account? I have about, like, what do you mean you have about? Have about is not a number. I always get on to people while I'm doing virtual budgeting and it's like, oh yeah, okay. How does that work out for you? Because that math gets really tricky when you're trying to keep up in your head, when you have things going out, you have things coming in and you're really not sure. And then you end up with, I have about. And sometimes have about means you've overspent and you're in debt. The other thing that I absolutely love, especially with my business owners, is that they think just because they made $1,500 that they have $1,500 to spend. Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) No, I call that dirty money. I was like, that's a dirty $1,500 because we got to take out all those cost of goods. We got to get rid of all that stuff. And I mean, before you even get to the taxes, you got to pay the bills for the business. You got to do all of that other stuff. And so by the time that $1,500 actually makes it into your bank account, it might just be $200. So that's what a lot of people do. You get into that. I have about the virtual budgeting. Well, I just made 1500. I have 1500 to spend. And then later on, they're like, well, Felicia, I don't know why I don't have any money in the bank account. Like, really? You don't know why? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any horror stories out there? Oh my gosh. One of my best horror stories. I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard of this, but you know, doctors, there are a lot of doctors, you know, obviously high income earners. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of doctors who live paycheck to paycheck. And the reason I know is because oh. I was actually one of them and it was a two physician household. 
But I'm sure you've got to have some really bad budgeting stories out there. Oh my gosh. I actually did work with a client once who brought me in after the first year that they made $163,000, which was great. So excited for them. And by the time they brought me in, the money was just going out left and right. And within that first quarter of the following year had made $300,000. Oh, wow. Okay. It was gone. Really? It was gone. And I was like, where did the money go? And he was like, I don't know. You're supposed to be keeping up. And what was happening is that they were just out there buying everything. And what happens with a lot of business owners is that the lifestyle, I call it business and lifestyle creep, goes up with the more money you make and started hiring people that they didn't need to hire, started, you know, just kind of like making it rain inside of the business. And then after that first quarter, there was no money, take money out of the business to buy cars, to start dating. And they were a very generous dater and (laughs) trips to Vegas. And then was just really surprised when there was no money and got angry at me, fired me, wouldn't even answer the phone, started hanging up on me when I was like, hey, what's going on? And what was so crazy about this was at the end of the year, I got an email that said, you were right. You were so right. It's like, I told you. <laughs> they were doing the virtual budgeting. Well, I made this much so I can go spend it. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Now, I know you mainly work with businesses, but how do you get people to get out of that cycle of paycheck to paycheck? And I guess from a business standpoint, you know, just hoping that they get job to job so that they can mm-hmm. pay for their expenses. What's like the first step that you do to help them break that cycle? Well, when I start with my business owners, I tell them we have to have three things we look at. We have to look at how much money your home needs to survive, how much money your business needs to survive, and savings. Those are the three things. And I call the home, I mean, that's your salary. Basically, there's a whole bunch of people who are depending on you to bring some money in. And what happens with us business owners, we only see the business and we forget that, oh yeah, like the cat and dogs and children, they need food. Huh, who knew? And so I really start with what the home needs to survive. And I tell people, you got to tell me exactly how much money your household needs in order for you to figure out how much you need to make in the business. And so we start with the personal finances, which is crazy. And I have this method of using post-its to kind of look at the budgeting side on the personal finance. And it really stops and shocks people. I've actually had a lot of tears when I take people through this exercise because I don't use spreadsheets. I actually make you stand up on the wall, take post-its and start listing everything. How much is going out each month? How much is coming in? And then how much debt you have? And when we list them all up with the post-its, it becomes very real. And I tell people, don't do anything about it. I just want you to look at this for about a week or two and then tell me what you see. And I don't think a lot of people have had uh, confrontations with their money in a very visual and colorful sense right on their walls. And I make them do it in a public place in the house. So everybody can see. No spreadsheets is right there so everyone can see. So that's the first step in looking at what's going on in the household to figure out how much money we need to make. And I'm one of those. I have no judgment, no shame. If you like $500 shoes, all I ask is that, you know, do you want to feed your kids? It's up to you. I really don't care. It's choices. Right. I got you. <laughs> and priority. So we start there and then we do the same exercise inside the business. Like how much is this business costing you each month? And a lot of business owners don't know. I love when I speak and I ask and people are like, I get the hands that kind of half go up and then I get the hands that kind of flap around. I was like, okay, so we got a bunch of roundabouts, (laughs) roundabout numbers. And that's the biggest thing when you tell people you need to understand what's going on in your home, what's the business costing you, and then figure out savings on top of that. Because it's not a matter of if things will happen, it's a matter of when things will happen in the business. 
So I really get people to focus on those three numbers and that kind of makes them wake up a bit because those three numbers tell you what you need to make each month in your business. And then at that point, and now it's time to go do something. Now, part of, you know, the going and doing something, I'm assuming you're talking about bringing in more revenue if you need to. And mm-hmm. so forth. One of the tools that you talk about a lot is being a speaker. And that was another reason why I wanted to have you on the show is that you've been able to develop an amazing career, an amazing resume, speaking all over you know, the country being invited to different events. Congratulations on a TEDx speaking. Ah, thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations on that. So for the people who are listening right now, you know, they have always wanted to be a speaker or have thought about being a speaker. Do you recommend getting a speaking coach? Oh, that's a good question because I'm about to step on a lot of toes. <laughs> I've never had a speaking coach before. Really? I've never had one. I, oh my gosh, this is a hard one because I would never say to not get a speaking coach. If you are a newbie, like you are afraid to speak in front of people, I recommend getting a speaking coach. Okay. I would say for people, if you're not afraid, even if you get a little nervous, I still get extremely nervous every time I speak, but you can what? still get up there. Oh gosh, yeah. I'm, really? I'm a hot mess before I go on stage. My husband saw me speak for the first time last year and it was hilarious because he was like, you did a really good job. I was really worried about you before. I was like, oh yeah, I'm a hot mess before I go on stage. Like, don't bother me. I'm going back and forth to the bathroom. Yeah, so it's bad. (laughs) But if you can handle at least getting up in front of an audience, even with the nerves, I recommend just keep getting on stage because you will progressively get better. And then the more you do that, then you will know exactly what type of speaking coach to get. And I'm one of those that likes for you to do some things first, then decide who you want to work with because Back to the budgeting side, I know a lot of business owners, we will spend a lot of money working with people at the wrong time and not finding the right people. And that's how we get sold into stuff. And I'm one of those as a speaker, go out there and do it a few times, then determine who's the right person to work with you and how much you want to invest in a coach so that you can get better, but also knowing what you want to say. Some of us, we already know what we want to say and we already know how to deliver. We know how to train. We just need to do it a few more times. So I'm one of those. I like to throw you to the wolves to get out there and get on stage. Okay. So then what about the folks out there? Because I know there's more folks who don't know what they want to say, but you know, they're interested in being a speaker. So what's your advice to those folks who are like, I don't know what I want to talk about, but I just want to be out there. You know, I want to bring more opportunities to my business. How do I do that? How do I craft a story? Well, which is so interesting is that you run a business. You already know what you should be talking about. (laughs) And that's boring though. Well, here's the thing. You don't know until you get on stage. Mm -hmm. How do you know is boring? Because I meet a lot of accountants who say, oh my gosh, who's going to listen to me on stage? I'm a speaker coordinator at the same time. I book speakers. I'm in the back end of speakers. People are dying to get accountants on stage because they need credible people to come in and talk about money. So here's the thing. You run a business and I'm one of those. People won't know you have a business or you have anything to sell until you tell them. So why not get up there and talk about what you do and how you serve and use cases, tell stories of clients. We all have clients that we can talk about so that we can give the warning signs or the positives of working with us. So you have something to talk about. You just don't really know what to say, you know, initially. (laughs) And why is speaking such a big deal? Because I know you really push that as to, you know, another aspect of business. What is it? The revenue is a lot better or is it the lead generating ability? Why should, you know, doctors really consider speaking? You know, it's so funny. I call myself like a Forrest Gump of my life. I tried to avoid speaking like the plague. Are you serious? I I did. So I'm shocking me right now. Wow. (laughs) I'm one of those oddballs. So I was a professional cheerleader 
I've done baton twirling. So I've done a lot of PR training and I've always done decent when it comes to speaking. But it was one of those things that, oh my gosh, like, can I just build a website and make a billion dollars? And I tried that with my business coach. She was like, Felicia, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, but I can make it work. I can build a website. They will come. And she's like, no, well, it doesn't. they won't. <laughs> yeah, I learned that the hard way. And they kept saying, well, Felicia, get out there because I wasn't a great closer on the phone. I'm not great at social media. And I was like, all right, I'll do this speaking thing. I'll get up there and try to dazzle and get people interested in what I'm saying. And it works. It's one of the quickest ways, especially for us who are running businesses, to generate leads. You can talk to the masses and only because you are considered an expert. The moment you get on stage, people think that you're an expert, which is great. Now, you want to say credible things. You don't want to sound crazy. Okay. The fact that you are doing what most people fear doing just gives you a leg up. And instead of talking to one person at one time, now you get to talk to 20, 30, 100, 500 people at once. And it's a great way. It's been the way I built my business was to get out there and do small speaking gigs. I mean, 15, 20, 30 people and get people on my email list, get people to listen to the podcast. That's been the one marketing thing that has worked for me because everything else, I just wasn't great at it. And I saw Darren Hardy of Success Magazine speak and he said, you know what? If you want to be great at something, choose one thing and focus on it. I was like, all right, this speaking thing seems to be working. So let's just ride the wave and go with it and see what happens. But for the most part, I honestly believe if speaking is something that you like to do or you think you would want to do it, it's hands down one of the best ways to get yourself out there quick, fast, in a hurry to generate leads, to get people into discovery sessions, to get them on your podcast, to build a name and build authority for yourself. Now, how do you get these speaking gigs? Like if you are, you know, starting out, are you talking about like reaching out to like your local Rotary Club, the library? How do you start out? You know what? I tell people to do something so simple. Just start asking. Start asking and tell people that you are looking for speaking engagements. It's something so simple because what a lot of us do, you know, like with our podcast, with our business, we only tell our cat and dog that we have a business. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work if they're the only people you talk to. You have to go out there and talk to humans. And then you also have to not be afraid to say, I'm a speaker and I'm looking for speaking gigs. And you'll be surprised. You say it enough times. There's always one person that says, you know what? Hey, I actually know somebody that's looking for speakers and I want to connect you. So the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing is just start asking. The next thing I tell people, hang around people that are speakers. I love giving this quiz to my audiences. Like if seven of your friends are broke, who's the eighth one? It's probably you. And if seven of your friends aren't booking speaking gigs, you're probably going to be the eighth person not booking gigs. So start hanging around with speakers, hang around with people who have stages, who have influence, people that can get you connected to where you want to go. And just doing those two things, I mean, that'll just get you started. I mean, it'll be small baby steps, but you'll be surprised when the ball gets rolling, it'll just keep rolling. Well, what if someone comes to you and says, you know what, Felicia, I'm going to skip all that. I want to start with live streaming. I want to start with podcasting. I feel more safe. You know, I got a microphone in front of me or, you know, I'm in my living room. Do you think that's a good place to start? Or do you recommend bypassing that and getting in front of live people? Live people works. (laughs) (laughs) Live people is preferable. And I don't want to say that it's a bad thing to do. Oh gosh, these are some tricks. These are hard questions. Yeah, because everybody's live streaming now. Everybody's podcasting. I'm not going to lie. Like I have a fear of public speaking and I feel like I've gotten so much better over the past two and a half, three years since starting this podcast, mainly because I do a podcast. 
you know, mm-hmm. but I want to get your thoughts on someone who's killing the stage right now. Like, you know, I got the feeling that you don't think that's the right way to go. So I want to hear your answer. On that. No, I don't think it's the wrong way to go is there is different. It's two different things. I'm one of those. If you want to get out there and start speaking, you need to get out there and start speaking because a podcast and a live stream, they're distractions. It's like anything else we do with business. You can be distracted really quickly. But I'm going to build up the podcast. I'm going to build the live stream. I'm going to get to that speaking thing later. Now, can you get speaking gigs from your live stream and podcast? Absolutely. But it's a very different dynamic sitting here talking to you through a microphone. And sometimes I may be able to see you if I'm doing a Zoom podcast or maybe it's just voice. But there's a big difference when you have 100 people in the room. They're all looking at you and you have to control that room with your personality, with your content with a little bit of humor, a little bit of entertainment. It is very, very different. And I'm not saying that either one. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I will say when I started doing the live stream, it has helped me to figure out what I want to say faster. I will say that it has helped me to figure out what my message is and I can, you know, do a panel a little bit easier because I can speak off the cuff a little bit better. But it's just a different thing a podcast versus being an audience of 500 people because there is no microphone, there is no computer screen. It's just you and a whole bunch of eyes waiting for you to transform them or guide them. And then you have to control the room. You have to pay attention to the energy of the room and you have to respond to it. Okay, so those who are listening right now, they listen to everything you're saying. They're like, that's great. But there are other people right now who are listening who are probably just breaking out in a sweat right now. Right? <laughs> Seriously, like thinking about- That's good. <laughs> all right, that's good and all, but that's still like, you know, got that nervous energy, right? Like, give us some tips. Like, how do you get over that? Because that's kind of tough, right? Let's be honest, right? You even said that you're like a nervous wreck before you speak. Oh, and just like that, you're able to turn it off and rock it. Like, well, I mean, here's the thing. With all of the things that I've done, I've always been nervous, but I have put myself in the situation on purpose. Like, if it's a fear thing, it's like, okay, I'm kind of scared to do this, but I'm going to do it. And I've always kind of inadvertently put myself in those situations where, okay, I have to deliver. The biggest thing with speaking is go get a gig, get the date. I always tell people, you'll figure out what to say an hour beforehand really fast. But booking that date is the biggest one. Not waiting, not delaying it, not starting the podcast, not working on the business, not working on the talk, but get the date. That's the biggest thing I will say. Get the date. And as that date gets closer, you'll start focusing on what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, practicing in front of people. The next thing is just get out there. I know it sounds very woo. A lot of this sounds very woo, but you won't get better until you put yourself in a situation to actually get on stage. And it is going to be scary. Like one of the things you can do, you can actually go apply for podcast movement. One, the area is already kind of comfortable to you because you know some people. You're going to have friendly faces in the audience and you'll talk about what you know and don't try to talk about what you don't know. As far as doctors, I mean, some of you are already skilled in what you do. So it should be fairly simple for you to get up in front of the audience and just deliver your knowledge, your experience. So the thing is, you're going to have to kind of force yourself to get the date, find the gig and get on stage because it's not going to get any better. There's no, I wish there was a magic thing. It's kind of like with budgeting. Until you want to do it, it won't change. So I would say the biggest thing is actually just go out, find an event and just scare the crap out of yourself and go and do it. 
Now, that's when, pretty much how I do things. Now, when do you know when to start charging? Because now we're going to get awkward. Like, when do you bring up that conversation with someone? You know what? The thing is, because I did a lot of speaking for free. I did speaking to, for lead generation. And that was to bring in clients into my business to do discovery sessions and things like that. But you'll know when you decide what kind of speaker you want to be, then you'll know when to start charging. There are a lot of speakers, and I know for you, you might want to only go and speak just to get people to listen to your podcast and to get on your email list. That's easy. You can speak for free. You already know what the outcome is going to be because speaking may not be your main mode of making money. But if you decide that speaking will be how you make money, you better know how to close a deal and you better know how to sell yourself. And that's really what it is. Now speaking is your business. It's not an awkward conversation when you know it's your business. And that's the thing, when you are ready, when you really feel that I'm known for something, I know I can deliver, and I know this audience will be transformed by me, don't be afraid to ask to get paid. You'll be surprised. People are not afraid to pay you. And if they say no, I mean, go to the next one. And when do you know that maybe I should get like a speaker's bureau or anything like that? Are you part of one? I'm actually not part of a speaker's bureau because here's the thing with speaker's bureau. Tell us because there are people out there listening who don't even know what that is. So what exactly is a speaker's bureau? So a speaker's bureau is there's all kinds of versions of them. Some are like agencies where you can add your name and they go find gigs for you. And I'm putting this in big old fat air quotes where they go find gigs for you. Basically, if somebody finds you through them, they take a cut. You get paid, they get paid, there you go. So, and sometimes speaker bureaus are just clean and cut like that. Some offer a lot of training. So like the National Speakers Association, they have kind of a hybrid model where you can get training, you can be around other speakers, they do sessions all over the country and they also act as a speakers bureau. So it's a great place to go and put yourself out there. Sometimes you have to pay, sometimes they find you. There's all kinds of different speaker bureaus out there. So you have to go do your research on them. But one of the things that I have found with speaker bureaus is you still have to go find your own gigs. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's one of the myths is that you think you can put your picture up and then somebody's, you go sit back and drink some margaritas and somebody's going to magically find gigs for you. Doesn't really work that way. You still have to go and find your gigs. Now, you might find some people that'll find you through these directories, but you know, you still have to go out there and generate your own leads to go find gigs. So you're going to have a multi-tiered approach when you find gigs. You're going to have to generate your own leads, add yourself to bureaus. But getting an agent is very difficult when you're brand new. It's easier when you already have an authority behind yourself and you already have a following. So it's all really tricky and it depends on where you are in your career, in your speaking. So if you're very new, the best thing you can do is go out and ask. If you already have a following, you might be able to go to a speaker's bureau. And if you have a bigger following, then it's probably going to be a bit easier for you to work with an agent. I see. I see. Now, what about, because there are doctors right now who are employed still or in a situation where they're working for a company and they want to start speaking. So what's your advice to people who may be in various fields, in this case, doctors who are still employed and they want to speak on something? Like, how do you handle that situation? Because in most cases, when you do that, the company still own like that intellectual property of you speaking out. That's a good question because I don't work for anyone else. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know what? I would say start asking your job and start looking into all of those rules because typically if you are not talking about the same thing, so, you know, with your job and your company, and if you go speak at podcast movement, you're probably not giving up any intellectual content. 
you're going to go talk about something different. So you're probably okay, but you might still have to check in with your company to see, you know, what their rules are about you getting out there speaking, especially if you're talking about your own work. That's where you might have some challenges. If you're talking about your own work or the work that you do for this company, you really do need to go get permission. So I would say if you are in that situation, start asking and just be very clear on what it is that you're talking about, especially if it's in the same fields. Even if you're talking about something different, just make sure that they know what you're doing that they know who you're talking to. Because I came from the government and sometimes you have to tell them like exactly who are you talking to? Where are you going? Who are you meeting? So I don't know if it's that serious for a lot of people's jobs, but just start asking if you're working nine to fives. But I do know a lot of people that are doing some nine to fives and they have like different hobbies where they like shoes and it has nothing to do with what they're doing in their day job. So you can go do a speaking gig and they usually have no issues. <laughs> so you're coaching a lot of people, you know, doing a successful job doing it. Tell me if you heard this issue before, because, you know, for me, one of my major issues with speaking is I always have a hard time trying to figure out, should I be using a PowerPoint to present, right? You know, particularly someone with me, and obviously you've been in the same realm, highly academic background. Most of the time when you're in education and you're doing any type of speaking, you have a PowerPoint behind you, right? And you have mm-hmm. ideas and so forth. But when you're speaking, like nobody does PowerPoints anymore, right? So what's your advice for that? Like crafting an idea and being able to like carry people through this idea for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. You know, what's the meat and potatoes behind it? Like, what's the key? You know, what's the gist behind it? How do you do that? Actually, a lot of people use PowerPoints. And the danger with PowerPoints is that it can be too much of a crutch for a lot of folks. I use PowerPoints and I know how to get off the PowerPoint. So you really need to know your content. But I will say this. I don't put a lot of words on my content, on my PowerPoints. I literally have puppies and kittens and things like that just so that you can pay attention to what I'm saying. And I may just have a word or two. So I'm actually want to go through a couple of things so that people can kind of understand how to approach speaking from a very logistical and strategy. I had you on the show. <laughs> All right. So when you got to decide what kind of speaker you want to be, and we can have the motivational type speaker, inspirational, or we can do educational, or we can go into lead generation. And so give us examples. So like when you talk about like inspirational, we're talking about like Eric, the hip hop preacher, Eric Thomas, something like that. Or like a Tony Robbins. Tony. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred X that. Yeah. Les Brown, the Lisa Nichols, those type of folks. <laughs> Felicia, why are you doing me like that? <laughs> All right. Okay. They're All on right. the same level. Sure. Yeah. I think we can do that. And then, so you can be a motivational speaker and you want all eyes on you. So what you'll kind of see with a lot of motivational speakers is they don't use PowerPoints because what they need you to do is focus on them the entire time, because that's where they get their energy to transform the room. So motivational speakers, inspirational speakers, when you see people who are telling these stories and they can keep you captivated, they don't use PowerPoints a lot. And I'm not saying this for everyone, or if they use PowerPoints, it's like one picture and then it's off again. So the goal, and this is something I had to kind of pay attention to, like, all right, if you're a motivational speaker, you want eyes on you. Just like with the TEDx's, they want eyes on you. Now, if you are a legion speaker or educational speaker, 
I mean, I would say legion. These are people who are speaking to get people to come to a podcast, to work with them, to do discovery sessions. What I learned from my mentor was if they are not writing, they are not converting. You want those people to write the entire time. I mean, like notes coming off the page because now they will want you. Okay. That's what you want. So that's one method. And it's going to sound a little weird, but next time you go to an event, I want you to pay attention to the speakers especially the ones who are trying to get you to do something, especially if they want your money. You will see that they're going to get you to write, take notes like, oh my gosh, it's a good thing. You know, I'm writing down. You'll see people trying to steal napkins, writing notes. Whereas with motivational speakers, it's a lot of, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like storytelling where you have to watch them the entire time to get the story. And they will say things that you will remember, you know, such as Amel Robbins, the five second rule. She wants you to watch her the whole time because she's going to give you that five second rule. And that's all you need to remember about her. So when you look at speaking that way, you got to decide what is it that you want people to do, especially if it's inspirational. That means all eyes on you. And so now you cannot use the PowerPoint as a crutch. Whereas if you're doing Legion or educational, you're trying to get people to learn something. Now you can probably use those PowerPoints a little bit more because now you need something to support what you're talking about. But you want those people writing so much that they're going to want more of you and they're going to want to give you money or sign up for your program or listen to your podcast. So that's one way to look at it when it comes to the PowerPoint. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. I love it. We want more. We want more. So, and then the other thing when it comes to crafting a talk, and I actually had to learn this when I was working on my TEDx talk, because that was the first time I was Congratulations on that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I was actually stumped because I didn't know what I was going to say three weeks before. I had gotten into a mode of speaking in a very legion and educational way. And with TEDx, I knew I was going to have to go in a very different way and make people focus on me, what I'm saying, because I wanted to start a movement with the all girls are great at math. And that was hard. That was the hardest thing I've ever done was putting together that TEDx talk. But I learned this little trick that somebody taught me was that you need to speak from your head, your heart and your core. So if you ever want to know what to say, your head are all the facts. These are all the facts to kind of give the audience the knowledge of why they need to keep listening to you. Your heart, that's your story. That's why you care and why we need to make this change. And the core is, here's what we're going to do about it. This is what you can do. This is the change we're going to make right now. So that helped me get through the TEDx. And it was really helpful because I was like, oh my gosh, I was in a panic attack. And I was like, what did I get myself into? But if you're looking at a way to put together any talk or anything that you're doing, use that method just to at least get you started to figuring out what you want to say and how you want to say it and how you want to present it. I love it. I love it. This was really good. Felicia, I really appreciate you coming on the show to come and talk about budgeting, but more importantly, speaking, taking you know your brand to the next level by kind of showcasing your talents in front of quote unquote live people. Yes, humans. Humans are a good thing. You're joking about me on that, so I give you that. But listen, <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a quick moment to really parse down all of this stuff into one thing, if you can. Like, what's the most important thing that you want the audience to get from this podcast? Wow, the most important thing is that one, get your money straight. Then two. If you're going to use speaking to generate revenue for your business or for your side hustle or whatever you're doing or for your brand, go and do it. Don't wait because the longer you wait, the longer you are without a stage and it's going to be scary. It's going to be very, very scary. Just go and do it. Just go feet first and just fly 
And the world will actually still be revolving when you're done. I love it. I love it. What's one life hack that you're using right now? Obviously, as a owner, entrepreneur, what's the one thing that you're doing that's making yourself really successful? A life hack. I discovered Instacart. The groceries just magically appear at your house. That's not fair if you live in an area that has Instacart. Oh my gosh. Instacart and I use Gobble to Gobble and HelloFresh to have meals delivered. I know it's on the pricier end, but the world has been just a little bit hectic in our house. And oh my gosh, Instacart and meal boxes. Oh my gosh. Best thing ever, ever. Now I just need somebody to do laundry for me. <laughs> can't you use it? Well, Instacart doesn't do that, but can't you do like, uh, I mean, you can get a virtual. Well, no, you need a virtual. I mean, you live in Denver, right? I'm south of Denver. I can find, but everybody cleans, but nobody folds the laundry. They'll wash it, but nobody folds. I got you. I need fold, but that I Instacart game. Business for you right there. Why don't you start that? I know. No, I don't fold. No. <laughs> well, you don't have to fold. I, I can get people to fold. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good idea. We should start that now. Well, Belisha, I want you to describe yourself in three words. Oh, describe myself in three words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy hour lover. Happy hour. <laughs> Yo, I love it. <laughs> I love happy hour. That's my favorite time of day. <laughs> I think you got me stumped actually on that one. <laughs> love happy hour. People are happy. We get to hang out with friends, cheap food. I love it. Why wouldn't you love happy hour? And then the lover part? It's just, I love happy hour. That's it. Happy hour lover. <laughs> Well, look, Felicia, this was really awesome. This was a great time. Learned a lot about you. Also learned a lot about your passions and definitely how doctors can really take themselves to the next level. How can they learn more about you? How can they get in touch with you? Can you tell us all about that? Oh my gosh. You can find me at all the places on the internet at Keep Up With Mrs. Jones. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. My website is keepupwithmrsjones.com. And I actually want to give your listeners something if you want to jump into speaking. You can go to keepupwithmrsjones.com forward slash three skills. It's three skills. So I'm actually going to give you two things. It's absolutely a free guide and checklist. Free. (laughs) It's free. Okay. This is is a late night podcast. There you go. It's free, but it's the three skills every speaker must master in order to land more speaking gigs. And it's just a checklist going over research, being organized and becoming known for something. You can go to keepupwithmrsjones.com forward slash three skills, the number three. And I actually do have a course on how to land your next five speaking gigs. And I actually want to set this up and we'll come up with a code and go check the show notes because I know you have show notes. Mm-hmm. But I want to give everyone who comes from you 40% off if what? they want to join the course. Yes. Because I like you. You're my favorite trauma surgeon. Thank you. <laughs> you I don't know, know any other Favorite ones. and trauma surgeon doesn't necessarily go together, but I do appreciate that. So. <laughs> and I definitely appreciate you offering that to the audience. I hope they jump on that. This is a really, really good deal. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, we'll do that. And I'll make sure the code will be in the show notes so everybody can go check that out. So that'll be fun if you want to learn how to get on more stages. 